Wednesday, October 9th, 2019, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. As you can tell, my voice is still a little scratchy. I'm still recovering from uh, being sick for the past couple of weeks, but we're going to still get this episode in. Hope you're having a great week outside of podcast land. I just got word over the weekend. Boom. My home loan has been approved, which, man, is a lot off my shoulders. So today, as in the day of this podcast drop, I am going through my final inspection and walkthrough demonstration, basically where they show you how everything works and where all the switches are for, you know, those that aren't too technological inclined with the with the new homes today. Um, I'm also hiring my own home inspector. You don't expect, you inspect, right? And he's going to go through there and check out to see if there's anything that's wrong inspector-wise with the house, structurally and and all that. That way they can have it finished when I close in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm so grateful to have been able to bring you uh, this whole process of the VA home loan from a personal standpoint. Uh, if you've been following for the past, I don't know, seven months, you've been able to get snippets of it. So it's finally coming to an end. Uh, you know, seven months is, is a long time. So I'm glad to finally start my journey out of the in-laws basement and we're going to start and we're going to start producing the show out of the party barn in a couple of weeks. One email of note and one review since last week's episode. Uh, the email comes from a gentleman named John Jekyll it says, Tanner, I'm a retired army first sergeant and wanted to say thank you for your service as a Marine and as a veteran advocate promoting VA programs. I enjoy your veteran interviews. They're always outstanding. The most recent interview with Jeff Struker and the anniversary of the Battle of Mogadishu is so fitting for our warriors. Just wanted to tell you, just wanted to tell you to keep up the good work promoting our great warriors. I look forward to the podcast. I look forward to more podcasts. Keep them coming. First Sergeant Jekyll, retired regulator. First Sergeant, uh, thank you for listening, and I hope to bring you more interviews and more news releases man i can't believe so many people are are enjoying the news releases because when i'm reading them man i feel like i'm 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 making you uh watch grass grow or you know however that that analogy is but uh no it seems like you guys are really uh enjoying getting the the, the news releases this way so i'm happy to still keep promoting it i'm happy to still keep reading them and the review comes from Urban Cowboy 0222. OPSEC. This podcast is great to advertise the processes that clog up local and state and regional VA offices that aren't known by providers and social workers. The importance of getting the information out for the changes in the Department of VA is one of the hardest issues I personally have had with the agency. The more veterans learn how to sign up and connect disabilities to their military service and know that mental health and physical health don't only come from battle or so-called combat. Totally agree. The more veterans sign up for benefits, the more the government will provide resources and better resources for its veterans. The problem with the VA is members don't work the system and or do not know enough about the system from Urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy, I would say, uh, as of course, as the honorable men and women that we are, we don't want to take advantage of a system, but we definitely want to make sure that the system works for us based on the needs of you as the veteran. Um, always provide the VA with feedback 
as you receive your services. It's the only way it's going to get better. So thank you again for the review, Urban Cowboy. And always, reviews like this help us get higher in those iTunes and Stitcher and and other podcatcher algorithms. And those emails that you send to me and the comments on any of our Born the Battle blogs on on blogs.va.gov help me in making your show better. Our email is podcast at va.gov. And it's also a great way to nominate who you want honored as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, which we do at the end of every show. Five news releases this week. Five. Count them. Five. First one is for immediate release. Veterans can now enroll in VA's Million Veteran Program online. Veterans can now join the Million Veteran Program online as part of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs effort to improve the lives of veterans through healthcare research and innovation. More than 775,000, so we're getting there, three quarters of a million veterans, veteran partners have already joined MVP, a national voluntary research initiative that helps VA study how genes affect the health of veterans. There's a quote by the secretary, and then it says, Veterans enrolled in VA care can use their existing VA credentials to securely log on to MVP online to view their personalized dashboard and learn more about the program. To partner with MVP, veterans can use the online portal to complete the consent process, allow access to health records for for research purposes only, answer surveys about their health and lifestyle, and schedule an MVP visit at a participating VA site to provide a blood sample. VA is currently piloting ways to make the MVP sample collection more convenient for veterans who who do not live near a participating VA site. MVP helps researchers better understand how genes affect health and illness, which may help prevent illness and improve treatments of disease. Research using MVP data is already part of more than 30 VA projects, including efforts focused on understanding the role of genes in PTSD, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and suicide. Significant research findings have already been published in high-impact scientific journals. This research is helping VA to better understand the role of genes play, the role genes play in many common illnesses, especially those illnesses common among combat veterans. MVP partners include veterans from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and Guam. MVP also has the largest representation of minorities of any geomic cohort in the United States. For more information about the Million Veteran Program, visit MVP online at www.mvp.va.gov. For veterans not enrolled in VA care, the ability to join using MVP online will be available in the near future. Until then, please call the MVP Info Center at 1-866-441-6075 to learn more about how to join. All right, the second one says, for immediate release, VA to implement executive orders governing taxpayer-funded union activities. Now listen to this. In a victory for veterans, taxpayers, and VA employees, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia has denied an attempt by the leadership of several government unions to block implementation of parts of the following three important executive orders. Uh, One talks about developing efficient, effective, and cost-reducing approaches to collective bargaining, ensuring transparency, accountability for taxpayer-funded union time use, and promoting accountability and streamlining removal procedures consistent with merit system principles. Basically, three executive orders that deal with um, 
union time on taxpayer funding and better ways to be more efficient with that. VA plans to implement these executive orders, which include numerous changes that will improve VA medical care, customer service, and staff accountability while maximizing service to veterans and value for taxpayers, including limiting limiting the free or discounted use of government property for union business, potentially enabling the department to repurpose hundreds of thousands of square feet of office space currently used by unions, reducing the maximum amount of time VA employees can spend during workdays hours serving unions, redirecting man hours back to direct services and medical care. Uh, For example, in fiscal year 2016, VA employees spent more than a million duty hours on taxpayer-funded union time at a cost of more than $49 million. $49 million is roughly the cost of 355,000 NALOX injection kits preventing, that prevents veterans' death by opioid overdose, or employing more than 550 VA suicide risk management social workers for one year, or providing a year of housing to more than 2,800 homeless veterans. Then there is a quote from our uh, secretary. It says, under this administration, VA is seeking more patients than ever before, more quickly than ever before, and studies show VA now compares favorably to the private sector for access and quality care, and in many cases exceeds it. These executive orders will help VA continue to improve by ensuring our employees and resources are focused squarely on serving veterans. Okay, third, third news release says... For immediate release, independent veteran advocate healthcare sur- survey shows high marks for VA improvements. Not usually one to do self-pats on the back, but this is coming from the VFW. This isn't coming from the VA. Veterans across the nation are satisfied with the care they receive at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, according to 2019 Report Evaluating Veterans Healthcare Survey, released by the Veterans of Foreign Wars of the United States, or as we know them as the VFW. The survey, which asked veterans about their experience with VA healthcare since the Mission Act was implemented, found more than 80% were satisfied with their VA healthcare. Nearly 75% of veteran respondents reported improvements at their local VA, and more than 90% would recommend VA care to fellow veterans. The survey also revealed while most veterans still prefer to receive care from the VA, Veterans using community care have fewer billing issues and a positive opinion of the Mission Act urgent care benefits. And there's a quote by the secretary, and then it says, more than 6,900 veterans participated in this year's survey, and more than 33,000 veterans from every state and territory, including Washington, D.C., have participated since VFW began to conduct, since VFW began conducting the Our Care surveys in 2015. Since then, VFW has conducted eight surveys and published six reports on VA healthcare. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. All right, number four, for immediate release, VA dedicates new columbarium at Los Angeles National Cemetery. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs dedicated a new columbarium October 5th that will double the capacity of the Los Angeles National Cemetery in California. The cremains-only annex will be able to accommodate more than 90,000 veterans and eligible family members joining the 90,000 already interred. There's a quote by the secretary, and then it says, Wilkie provided the keynote address and was joined by the Undersecretary for Memorial Affairs, Randy Reeves, Congressman Ted Liu, actor Gary Sinise, and Cemetery Director Tom Ruck as the dedication plaque was unveiled. The new columbarium will cover 13 acres of ground on the west side of I-405, 
directly across from the existing cemetery, which occupies 114 acres of the east side of the I-405 in West Los Angeles. It is the first of those to be completed as part of the VA's Urban Initiative Program, which will bring increased burial options to veterans and their families living in major cities. Urban Initiative Columbaria were also, are also planned or under construction in New York, Chicago, Indianapolis, and the San Francisco Bay Area. Construction on the first phase of the Columbarium, covering 4.4 acres of ground, began in, sever- in September 2017, totaling $17.38 million. The first phase, now completed, provides more than 10,000 Columbarium niche- niches or inurments. Inurments? Interments? I'm going to go with enormous because that's what's written down. Subsequent phases will be completed in the coming decades as these spaces fill up until the final plan capacity of 90,854 niches is reached. For more information on VA burial benefits, visit www.cem.va.gov or call 1-800-535-1111. One 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 seven. That's one eight hundred five three five one 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 seven. Okay, and the last one says for immediate release, VA completes home loan funding fee refund initiative. This is from a news release that I, I think I talked about a couple episodes back. Uh, says. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently completed an aggressive initiative to process home loan funding fee refunds to veteran borrowers, issuing more than $400 million in refunds. The refunds are the culmination of a multi-year internal review of millions of VA-backed home loans spanning almost two decades. So there's a quote from Secretary Wilkie. It says, VA staff worked diligently throughout the summer reviewing 130,000 cases, which is an average of 16,000 loans reviewed per week. This effort included loans dating back nearly 20 years. Our administration prioritized fixing the problems and paid veterans what they were owed. The VA's Loan Guarantee Service, who did our VA home loan program back in episode 150, identified more than 130,000 loans where a refund was potentially due. While some funding fees charged were found to be attributable to clerical errors, most fees were charged correctly. The exception were the The exception was for those veterans whose exemption status changed following the issuance of a disability rating after the closing of their loan. Letters were mailed notifying veterans who were eligible for a refund. VA has made several program and system changes to provide veterans and lenders with the most up-to-date information possible on a veteran's funding fee exemption status. Veterans who believe that they are entitled for a refund of the VA funding fee are strongly encouraged to call their VA Regional Loan Center at 1-877-827-3702 to find out if they're eligible. Again, that's 1-877-827-3702. And for more information about the VA home loan funding fee, you can go to benefits.va.gov forward slash home loans, all one word, forward slash P-U-R-C-H-A-S-E-C-O underscore loan underscore fee dot A-S-P. All right. October 13th is the Navy's 244th birthday. Seems only fitting that we have a sailor for today's interview. 
And with my background, which you can listen to here on Born the Battle in episode 134, you knew this interview was going to happen eventually. He is a Naval Academy graduate who played free safety for the football team and ran track. He is also an entrepreneur who started a business to fund his current dream of stock car racing and is currently a driver in the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Oh, and he's also one of two African-American drivers in NASCAR's five main series. So without further ado, I bring to you Navy veteran, Jesse Uwuji. Enjoy. What do you uh, What do you use for a simulator? Uh, my so uh, my I use iRacing for the software, so for the racing side of it, and then I also use a set of Corsa. I use a set of Corsa, which is, I use that one for like practice, like drifting and stuff like that. And then I use um, I use uh, iRacing to practice like all my NASCAR stuff and any other form of racing. Of course, of course, iRacing. You know any of the the iRacing drivers in the NASCAR circuit? Started iRacing and now uh, race in real life. Yeah, or or do you know anybody that's on the current like official NASCAR iRacing circuit? There's like an official. Oh, oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Um, I don't know who's in. Uh, maybe that, I think Timmy Hill might be in it. Maybe um, there might gotcha. be some other. I gotta look through. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to the, the official one. No worries. Uh, yeah, they man. I don't know how you can just have like ten thousand dollars for just a a, a a championship. You got to get some <laughs> some better sponsorship for that. I know, I know. Especially with all of these other, um, all these other like big esports things going on. People they're giving away, you know, fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, you know, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, League of Legends has got like a million dollars per. I don't, I don't understand how NASCAR's got. Hey, ten G's is our champion. Uh you got to do a little yeah. better than that, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they need to start putting some more effort because people are on it i mean at the end of the day like nascar is one of the one of the sports that you know motorsports in general it's a thing where it costs a lot of money to do it in real life so a lot of people's only way in sometimes is you know is esports you know yeah and it's not like basketball and football like basketball and football i mean the only money i ever had to spend on 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 football was uh shoot i think my cleats you know for middle school and high school and my gloves for middle school and high school Besides yeah. that, I don't think I spent a single other dime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're coming, they've come a long way. Uh, Cause I pitched esports when I used to work there. I was like, Hey, you guys need to get into NASCAR heat. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see that that series actually started kicking off mm-hmm. this year. Um, but yeah, I racing, uh, they need to maybe get a big sponsor and, and develop yeah, that a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So, I felt like with our respective backgrounds, this interview was going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. Like it was probably pretty much, pretty much fate. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I know after your, your mighty talks presentation that you put on at the military influencer conference, uh, it was probably the best time to introduce myself. Yeah. That was a, that was a great talk, man. That was, that was, I learned a lot more, even more than I did when I, when I used to cut your videos. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Why did you decide to join the service in the first place? Yeah, for sure. So, um, joining the Navy, um, uh, it wasn't something that I had thought about, you know, prior to high school or anything like that. Um, it was something that really just kind of came up. So, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I had this big goal to go off to college and play college football. So I was working really, really hard to, you know, 
you know, get my skills up in a, to a point where I would have the opportunity to play college football. And yeah. uh, kind of later in my junior year, going into my senior year, uh, the Naval Academy started recruiting me. Um, you know, they had sent a coach down there, you know, to, to our high school to, you know, see what players were available. And I was one of the players that caught his eye. Um, and, you know, he had talked with uh, our, one of our coaches, our head coach. And, you know, our head coach said, hey, you know, I think Jesse, would you be great for your program? You know, he has great grades, you know, good character, all that stuff. And, you know, good football player. So, um, you know, they started talking to me and I just looked at the opportunity as, okay, it's a great chance for me to go off to a really good school so I can get a really, really good education. I can also play great college football for a winning team. And then yeah. when I graduate, have a career like already started for me, pretty much handed to you, um, you know, as an officer in the Navy. So it was just a win in three different ways. And I was like, you can't beat this at all. Like, I mean, it's it's the way to go. And and that's why I went to Naval Academy. Where'd you play high school ball at? I uh, played high school football at uh, a Hebron, Hebron High School in Carrollton, Texas. Um, the at that time let's say that's two that was 2001 through 2005 and uh you know the school was pretty young at that time i mean I, when i had got to the school the school was only two years old yeah were you were you thinking uh naval academy on the outset or was it just because that that scout came up like or were you thinking more of like sec swack i was uh I had never thought about going to Naval Academy prior to the coach recruiting me. Like when he started recruiting me, that's when it kind of opened my eyes because I initially really the school that I was really aiming for and trying to go to was uh, two of my schools. My top schools were Texas and mm. t uh, TCU. So for both those schools, I mean, Texas was my number one. I was like, man, I wish I could go there. But, you know, just to go there, you have to be the, like one of the top whatever you yeah. are in your position, like, you know, in, in football and high school there. So it's just, it, I was going to be really star, tough. Four star recruiter, four whatever star they recruit, five yeah. star, all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I was like a two, two and a half star. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, so I, I was like, dang, I wasn't going to have a chance, but I was, TCU was the next best option. And it seemed like I was going to potentially have a shot, you know, but, um, you know, I was getting a lot of letters from them. I got invited to one of their mini camp things. I, I did that. That went really well. Some of the coaches liked me there, but, um, it just, it, it just didn't go through. And, uh, when Naval Academy started recruiting me, uh, that's the first time I ever even looked at it. And I was like, huh, let me look into this. And then I started looking and I was like, wow, like it, that was a 2004 season. So that was their second winning season that they were having in a while. And they yeah. were doing really good. And it was more than just the second winning season. I mean, they were killing it i mean they were winning just about every yeah, they're game winning bowl games yeah and bowl games all that solid. stuff yeah yeah they they won the Air, the emerald bowl that year so um it was the second year in a row that they went to a bowl game so i was like okay things are looking really good here and then i'm happy i went because my whole four years there we went we had winning seasons went to four bowl games beat uh notre dame twice uh beat army wow. and air force all four years uh almost beat ohio state in our first game of my senior year uh, it came down to the final three minutes of the game and uh, we were trying to tie it up uh, in the fourth quarter. After we had just scored, we went for a two point conversion and we threw an interception and they ran it back for a touchdown. And that's how they beat us. Oh, so, um, yeah. If we score right there, you go to overtime and who knows what's going to happen. No kidding. No kidding. So at the Naval Academy, you were a safety, right? Yeah. So I played safety at the Naval Academy. Um, you know, I came in as a corner initially. But, uh, you know, moved to safety probably after the first few weeks of um, being there. 
what would you say your play style was? Were you more like a like a Bam Bam Cam Chancellor type, or were you more like a rover like Earl Thomas? Obviously, um, you can tell. Obviously, you can tell I'm a Seahawks fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I I played both strong side and weak side safety. I really liked weak side a lot because the field was shorter. Like the field was smaller, less more confined space. It was easier to get tackles and make plays. Um, whereas on the strong side, you had so much field to work with. It's really hard to make plays. Um, yeah. But uh, I really like playing weak side safety. I liked I liked uh, rocking down as a safety and kind of playing that outside backer. Uh, fill in kind of position when the outside backer would, uh, you know, blitz. So I really okay. like doing that. Um, I like getting physical down there. I wasn't afraid to, to hit, you know, I wasn't the kind of safety who just needed to play deep field all the time. Like I liked getting down in the mix and playing the run. So a little, little, little Pamalamaloo, little, little, bam, bam. Cool. Um, you were also on the Academy's track team. What, what events, what events did you run? So for track, uh, on, I ran indoor and I ran outdoor track uh, for indoor track. I ran the 60 meter and the 200 meter um, indoor track. And then for outdoor, I ran the 100 meter and 200 meter. Uh, not I didn't run the 200 too much, but I also ran the four by one. Four by one was probably my favorite event. Got you. Very good. Um, so after that, you became a, a service warfare officer for seven years active duty, right? Yeah. So seven years active duty surface warfare officer. I was on two different ships over a four year period for my first four years in the Navy. And then I went off to shore duty in Monterey, California at Naval Postgraduate School, where I worked on the staff. Got you. While you were in, uh, who is either your best friend or your greatest mentor? Uh, Best friend, greatest mentor. All right. So I had a lot of friends. I've never really uh, I, I would say being active duty, I never would say I really had any like best friends because you're constantly moving around. So you're making sure. new friends all the time. So it's hard to kind of have a best friend because you're never with people longer than two years. <laughs> right. So um, uh, I would say some good, I had a lot of good friends. Um, one of my good friends who's also a good mentor too, you can kind of put them together. Uh, one of them was uh, Ryan Hogan and he was on my ship with me. On, he was on my second ship. And, um, you know, he came in the Navy brand new as an ensign, uh, after he was, he was enlisted for a while. So he, he was prior enlisted. Then he came in as a, as a, um, as an officer ensign. And then he, what I learned from him was he was like an entrepreneur and he had been an entrepreneur even in his, in his enlisted days. So mm. he taught me a lot about entrepreneurship and, and starting businesses and running businesses and things like that. And just a really good, you know, open-minded, just, um, creative person. And it, he was the one who sparked, uh, the interest for me to even get into entrepreneurship and own my own business and run my own company and all that stuff. So um, he sparked that and it's led to a lot of great things for me. Yeah. That's what reminded me. That's what, that's the one thing I learned during our, your mighty talks presentation is that you're, you're very, you have a very big entrepreneurship, uh, presence in the veteran community. I didn't know that whatsoever. Um, you got out in 2010, right. As far as your active duty time. Uh, so, so I, I got in in 2010. That's when I commissioned as an officer in 2010. And then, um, I was active duty from 2010 through May of 2017 before transitioning to the Navy reserves in May of 2017, which I still currently serve. And just the other day I was doing some Navy drill again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, where, yeah. where you, where's your unit at? Where you at? Uh, so my unit is stationed in Ventura, California. I'm with Naval Beach Group One. They are their active component is actually based out of San Diego, but the reserve component is in Ventura. So we'll we'll drill a little bit in Ventura, then we'll drill some in Coronado, California. Why did you decide to leave active duty? 
Uh, for me, leaving uh, active duty, going to the reserves um, was really mainly just because of all the entrepreneur stuff I was doing and also racing in NASCAR. So for me to continue to grow in both of those areas, I knew it was going to take a lot more time and you yeah. only get so many leave days active duty. So <laughs> I was like, you know, what? I got to. I got to I got to go into the reserves because I want to still stay in the Navy. I still want to wear the uniform. I want to be part of it. I, I still want to, you know, eventually uh, say that I retired in the Navy. Um, yeah. I wanted I want to do all that, but I can't do it active duty right now because there's no way I could devote enough time to all the things I'm doing while having a, a you know, a everyday day job. So, um, Absolutely. I, yeah, I had to transition and, um, I'm glad I did because it's been great. I've been able to balance it all. It's still tough. Sometimes there's a lot of times where I got to figure out a way to make sure I get all my drills in for the year, even though, yeah. you know, I have all this other business stuff and racing going on and everything. I mean, obviously you've been balancing it pretty well with uh, your career, the way it's been progressing, that's, that's, which has been awesome to, to watch. Um, especially as a veteran that was in NASCAR at the time. Uh, yeah. but why now, now you started out in football, why motor racing? What was your initial interest? How did you get into it? Because last time I checked, you know, you're not, you're what we call a first generation driver, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am definitely a first generation. There's no one in my family who's ever raced. No one in my family who's ever been into racing. I had never been to a NASCAR race. My first time going to a NASCAR race was March of 2014. That was the first time I ever went to a race. And oh, wow. um, yeah, so me doing my first late model race in April, 2015, you know, I mean, that, I, I had a year to try to learn NASCAR, but I really still didn't really know it because I went to my first NASCAR race in March of 2014. I started liking it. I, I did my first test in a late model in May of 2014 I went on deployment in July, 2014. Yeah, you were still in the, at that time. Yeah. You still active still duty. Yeah. Wow. Le uh, left that deployment in December, 2014 to go to shore duty got to shore duty in January, 2014 and then our 2015. And then in uh, April, 2015 did my first late model race. So, you know, basically four months prior to my late model race, I was literally sailing around in, in the Arabian Gulf on a warship. And then a few months later, I'm racing a late model race against 20 other people at Irwindale Speedway with the, in front of a crowd of four or 5,000 people. And this is just from your first experience in NASCAR. Like, yep, want to do this. Yeah, that pretty much is it. Yeah, I mean, so, 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 so it's crazy Incredible. because, it, so this is what I keep telling people. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but this world, uh, it, the way it works and how life works and the universe and everything and energy and all that stuff. It, when you make, like, when you make a wholehearted decision that you are going to do something like, hey, like I have a vision of me being this or being that. And I'm going to do this. Like the moment you make that decision and kind of put it out there in the world, like write it down. It's crazy how once you start focusing daily energy towards it, how doors start opening up. Um, you know, that's why when people tell me, oh, I can't do this or I can't get to my goal because of this. I'm like, you're, you're no, that's false. Like you can. There is actually nothing stopping you. There's stuff there to slow you down, but there's nothing stopping you. So like for me, I, it was January 2014. 
And prior, prior to January 2014, I had a Corvette and I still have it now. Same Corvette. I had a Dodge Challenger. It's sold now, but I had that. I used to take both those cars to like drag strips and road courses and all that stuff for fun, like open track days. So I, I was just a car enthusiast. You know, you go to open track days, anybody can go to those. Uh-huh. And then I uh, did yeah. that for a couple of years. And after a while of that, I was like, you know what? Like <clears throat> I have a little bit of skill. You know, every time I went and did like a time trial event and things like that, I would either win or, you know, finish really high or whatever. And, um, you know, I going into January 2014, I just I was sitting in my room one night and I was like, you know, what? I want to become a professional race car driver. Like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to do that. That's my next thing. That's what's going to happen. And I wrote it down on my whiteboard. I wrote it down and I said, become professional race car driver and put it up on my wall. And that was the beginning of the journey. Where to go, what to do, had no clue. All I knew was I'm going to make it happen. And as long as I put energy towards it, every day it's going to happen. So then I started focusing energy towards it every single day. Like I started thinking about it every single day. I started researching every single day, um, you know, and researching online is probably the worst thing to do for that sort of thing because <laughs> all you're going to hear online is you can't do it because you didn't come from a racing family. You can't yeah. do it because you're not rich. You can't do it because of this. You can't, you can't, you can't. Everyone's putting their life on you. Why they couldn't make it happen because they don't have the right mindset. Right. So anyways, I didn't listen to any of that. I was like, look, if I say I want to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, there is zero law in the world. There's no law in motor racing that says you cannot race if you are 27 years old. Like, no, there's no law. So I was like, I'm going to make it happen. So, uh, you know, started putting energy towards it. And then three months later, because I was putting this energy and focus towards it, Three months later, I happened to be at a car show and I happened to run into a guy who was late model racing. He had no clue that I ever wanted to ever do anything in professional racing. I just yeah. told him that I was taking my Corvette to track days and I had a challenger that I was drag racing and all that stuff. I just told him about it. But somehow, some way, a law of vibration, something picked up in his head. Something gave him the urge to tell me, hey, you ever thought about testing a, a late model stock car? out of nowhere. You know, he didn't know that like I had goals of professional racing. I never told him, you know, he's completely just, out of he, nowhere. Just the universe just, brought this he, guy to you. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. And, 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 and a funny thing was when we initially talked, he had never mentioned it. He never mentioned that he was doing that. He was just happened to be there helping the, the event that we're at, like the show. And then we had split ways and we went to the restroom. Um, I was going to the porta potty and I just so happened, I just so happened to be in line. There was literally like, 20 porta potties. I just so happened to be in line at the one that he was currently in. I didn't even know that. He comes out <laughs> of it and I see him, you know, for the second time. And his first words to me is like, you know what? I was just thinking, would you be interested in trying a stock car out? You know? And I was like, man, I was like, 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 you know, like a like oval track stuff. He's like, yeah. I was like, sure. And that's what led me to doing my test in May of that year. And then after doing that test in May, I was like, man, I think I want to race one of these. Because I, I said I want to become a professional race car driver. NASCAR is professional racing. I don't yeah. know if NASCAR is going to be my end thing that I do. Maybe it's IndyCar. Maybe it's sports car racing. I don't know. But I was like, let me try this out at least because it's one genre of professional racing. Let me try it. And, yeah. and when I came back from deployment, after doing a lot of research and sending out a lot of sponsorship letters throughout deployment and sending out probably at least a thousand emails and getting maybe 10 to 15 responses. And of those 10 to 15 responses, every one of them was no. Um, I decided that, you know what, I'm still going to go after this because I, I saved up a little <laughs> bit of money from deployment. That's what kind of kicked the whole ball and got it rolling and, and got me going with what I'm doing. So you funded your first race with your deployment money? 
Yeah. So first race. Um, so, so when I came back, they're like, Hey, it's going to cost $5,000 to, to race each late model race. Cause the team was a fairly decent team. So, um, I was like, okay, you know, I didn't really know much about how to make that happen. But I was like, well, shoot, let me try to find sponsorship. Couldn't find it. But, uh, what I did was I was like, let me fund it myself. I got some money saved up from deployment and I used that for my first race. After that, I didn't have any more money. And I was like, okay, the next thing I can do is, um, you know, I, because I did not quit because I was going to keep on focusing energy towards it. Yeah. Somebody came to me again and was like, Hey, I have this crowdfunding campaign, uh, uh, the platform and it wasn't GoFundMe. It wasn't like one of Kickstarter. It was this other one geared towards motorsports and the company's not even around anymore, but they were around oh. for a little bit, but they're around just a little bit in the same time that I needed it the most. <laughs> wow. So, so I, I, I started the, their campaign with them. And, and at first I was really against it because I didn't want to, I didn't want to beg for money from all my friends and family. But um, what it did was it actually really helped me put my story out there. So the way I had labeled the campaign really, I mean, it might as well have been a really big news article. Like it just put my story out there. And because it put my story out there, all of a sudden, everyone from, you know, Naval Academy, Navy, everyone you could think of started learning like, hey, like there's this guy who's an officer in Navy who's about to embark on a journey to try to race in NASCAR, you know, and yeah. everyone was like, you know what, shoot, I'll, I'll help you. I'll support you. Everybody was giving $10, $25, $100, some $500, some $1,000, like here and there. I think we got up to eight or $9,000 or something like that for the crowdfunding campaign in like a oh, wow. 30 day period. Like it was crazy. And um, I was like, oh my God, this helps me get to my second race. So it got me to my second race. Um, unfortunately, in that race, I had a wreck. So 5,000 went towards uh, racing and the other 3,000 or so, whatever was left, went towards fixing the car. So, oh, so, um, so you thought you thought like, hey, this is two entries and it turned into just one. Yeah. yeah I was like, oh, man, this is just about going to get me to two races. And then it turned into just one. I was like, oh, man. So but you know what? I was still happy, though, because that was my second late model race ever. There was a field of 21 cars and Irwindale is pretty competitive. I mean, there's a lot of fast drivers there. I mean, you know, there are a lot of good drivers and some drivers with some money too. And so at this point, was that the K&N races or was it no, still this late, late models? models? This is still, still late models, late models. Got you, so got you, got you. I, 21 car field. I qualified 12th of 21 and I was pretty much running right there mid pack, um, you know, during that race. And, and by the way, this is my second late model race. I don't even know what a, a lucky dog is at this point. You know, like I didn't know anything. I was still, I was still right foot breaking. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I didn't know nothing for nothing and I still qualified 12. So that's when I knew I was like, I, there's ability here. I have ability. I just got to hone it, you know? So, um, anyways, uh, that got me to my second race and I didn't have any more money after that, but I used my credit card that I had. Um, I maxed that thing out to get to my third race and, uh, I ran clean oh, at wow. that race. And then, uh, after that, I really had no more money. But because I had put out my story so well during that crowdfunding campaign, it got out to people who did have money. And eventually there was a guy who was interested in talking to me. Um, and he just, you know, he had family or friends who had been in the Navy. So he loved people in the military and his son was running a, a big, uh, it wasn't that big. It was kind of small little charity uh, foundation or whatever that helped, uh, you know, wounded vets and things like that. So yeah. he just had a tie with the military and he happened to have owned his own cup team back in the day. So, uh, who's this? Gary Bechtel. 
Huh. Okay, this is back in early 2000s, maybe late 90s, early 2000s. So okay. he had the uh, the Cartoon Network car. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I've the, seen that in some footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he had that <laughs> car, and then his son also helped bring in Travis Pastrana into NASCAR and all that stuff. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he used to own his own cup team for a little bit, and then he got out of it. But um, his family is a big engineering family. They have this big engineering firm and multi-billion dollar family so they have a lot of money so anyways he heard my story and he i got in a call with him i just told him what i was doing and where i was going never asked him for any money i just told him hey this is me this is what i'm doing this is where i'm gonna go and he's like let's go have some lunch and uh when he was in town so he was in town and we had lunch he got to hear my story again in person and just he just talked to me about all his old nascar stories and all the goods and bads of nascar and all that stuff and then he was like you know what what do you need to finish off the rest of your year and i was like well it's gonna cost me i think like 40 45 grand or whatever it was um and then he was able to sponsor that and uh he kind of sponsored it through the foundation that um, his son was running. He was like, okay, we're going to make this, uh, you know, we're going to make this a double win. What we'll do is, you know, we'll, I'll sponsor you on this, but we're going to do it through this foundation and they're going to be the ones who you're marketing and pushing and, you know, uh, promoting and all that stuff and worked with them to bring vets to the track and all that stuff. And that's what we started doing. So that's the first time I was starting to bring vets to the track and do experiences for them and all that stuff. And, um, that's kind of what launched that. And then I've always pretty much done that throughout the rest of the time with, through different ways, but, um, that's got that going. And that was, that's the whole energy. It sounds like, uh, the military community has really helped your endeavor since you started. They have, I mean, I've, I've, a lot of my sponsors I've had are, were prior military in some way. Um, you know, even, even last year, 2018, when I had a, a BBMC mortgage, the president of that bank was a, a West Point grad. So that's what you know helped us a lot. And we all know that securing sponsorship is a thing is like, it's also, it's like one of the hardest things to do in racing. Uh, but we all know this sport money equals competitiveness, right? So do you find that sometimes you have a niche when it comes to the military or veteran community and veteran owned businesses? Yeah. I mean, it helps a lot because, you know, I'm still in the Navy, I'm still serving. Um, so, so that, it, it makes it authentic. There's a certain niche that you got that I think it's a, almost a competitive edge when it comes to that kind of stuff. It helps a lot. It helps a lot. That's why we typically try to speak with companies that have, you know, they're veteran owned or, or have vets who are higher up in a company. Like it just helps a lot. Cause we have that connection. They understand me. They understand what I'm about and who I am and, and they know what type of drive I have, you know, because yeah. they were in, they know, okay, Hey, you're one of us. Like I know what you're capable of. I know where you will be. Absolutely. And I think it's good for, for companies to know that, Hey, there it's veteran owned businesses to know that like, Hey, there is a veteran in the NASCAR series. There's a natural relationship I could build in that sport. Exactly. You know? Um, and that all gave me enough time. Well, having that sponsorship that year in 2015, it gave me enough time to build my business that I started earlier that year, uh, so that it could make enough money to help support my 2016 year, which, my business covered 85 to 90% of my racing costs in 2016. Which was your first year k First year k yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So my, I finished top 10 in points that year, and majority of it was due to just the business. <laughs> For anybody that doesn't know, that you know, that's the first series in NASCAR that you enter into if you want to start, you know, aka climbing the ranks, if you will. Uh, and I would argue that there's some of the best racing in the series in any of the series is in the is in the Canon series. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So K&N has some really, really good racing. Um, you know, when I was racing K&N in 2016, 2017, and part of 2018, um, we had some really good car counts too during that time. Now, car counts were even better prior to that, but, you know, it's still fairly decent. I mean, we were usually, especially in 2017, I think the lowest car count we had was like 19 cars. So um, it was typically 20 something cars every race and the, the fields were always full for the most part. And it was pretty good. So um, for me, you know, kind of getting myself into it, I don't have rich parents. I didn't come from a rich family. Um, so I had to figure out a way to get the money. So I, I, I figured, Hey, let me start my own business. Let me start my own thing. And so I can make extra money on the side of, you know, my Navy stuff. Cause I was still active duty at the time and use that money from the business to help you know, get into racing because this racing is not, it's not free. Like as much as, you know, a lot of people like to think that, you know, teams just hire a driver and bring on. That's it. Like, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. Some teams do do that, but they only do it because they already have some corporate sponsor sponsoring the team. So they do have the flexibility to just hire a driver and bring them on. But yeah. not every team has that luxury. Only a not, few Not everybody's teams. a Joe Gibbs. Exactly. <laughs> only a few teams have that luxury. And because a few teams do, all the rest, of, I mean, only a few drivers can drive on those teams. If outside of that, if you're not on those teams, you got to find the funding because a lot of these teams are capable of finding it or, you know, they don't have the resources, time, manpower, whatever to find it. So you as a driver, your job is to go find the funding and bring it so that you can race. So for me, I, I found, you know, I found the funding through my own business because I knew that I didn't want to let other companies and other businesses control the fate of my future. Like I didn't want them to control you know when i was racing or you know what i was racing or you know, and, how and, long and, that, and, that's the, and that's the fate of a lot of drivers exactly like they're they're solely relying on it and um it just sucks i just did not want that to be my future so i was like i'm gonna start my own business and if wow. i have a sponsor great if i don't i'm still racing i'm still accomplishing my dream so <laughs> i did that and the business um actually is revolved the first business i started it revolved around racing so i was putting on my own drag racing events I was putting in my own racing events to make money to race myself. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know? awesome. So yeah, we were having uh, these uh, street car events where street cars and trucks and bikes would come out to the drag strips and have a safe place to race legally, you know, and, and there'd be prize money and things like that. So the first event that I put on, we maybe had like uh, 300 or so people show up, maybe 50 something cars racing. And then yeah. the second event that I put on, uh, we had like 2000 people in attendance with over a hundred cars racing. So, um, big jump. And then 20, and then the end of that year, December of that year, we had, uh, about the same amount, uh, race, uh, actually we had probably about 150 cars racing with 1500 or so people in attendance. And then the following year we had some bigger events and it just kept growing and doing well. So, um, each year that really kind of helped me, you know, do what I was doing, which was racing. And, uh, I, I, it didn't take and a lot of money. And you start. were still active duty at this time. Still active still. duty. So I was active <laughs> duty, Navy working, you know, five days a week, um, wearing a uniform five days a week. I was racing, you know, 2015 late models, 2016 K and N, um, and some late model stuff. And then also I had this business and that was taking up a lot of my time too. So <laughs> I did it all at once, but I, I knew I had to do it. Like at the end of the day, like, it's like I said earlier, you have to put focus energy towards it every single day. So I would, yeah. I would, I would do my Navy job, you know, from 8am till 4pm, come home, uh, get home by about 5pm or so, uh, uh, you know, work out, you know, after working out, 
Um, I jump on my racing simulator for about two hours or so, hop off that, get some dinner, eat, and then spend another four hours or so um, working on my business stuff and sponsorship stuff and all that, um, you know, until like midnight or so, and then go to sleep, wake up again at about 7 a.m. and get rocking again. Uh, that's a lot of work. It's <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work, but it was definitely worth it uh, for sure because, uh, you know, I knew that I had to put in the, the level of work to get to where I wanted to be. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, now in the K&N series is where you received uh, NASCAR's Diverse Driver Award, correct? Yeah. So, I uh, received the NASCAR K&N uh, or I received the NASCAR Diversity Driver Award for that year in K&N um, yeah. 2016 and 2017 um, uh, just for all the stuff that we we're doing. So, you know, for me racing, you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to be one of those drivers who just drove and drove only. Like I wanted to make sure that I was out there in the community and all that stuff, helping people and spreading the word about NASCAR and pushing it in different places. Maybe it hasn't always been pushed before. So, you know, I was going to, you know, schools and speaking and and doing different engagement stuff with schools and helping people and kids and just doing everything I could to kind of be out there. And, you know, I don't, I don't have like any like nonprofit organization or anything like that. I was just literally just doing stuff out of pocket and just out of the, you know, the kindness of my heart. So, um, cause I knew it was just good, you know, just yeah. do good things for people. Like there doesn't yeah. always need to be some monetary benefit for it. Just go do good things for people and good things will happen for you. Now you and Bubba Wallace, who's the first full-time cup driver, African-American cup driver in, in 20 years, you two are, as far as I know, the only two African-American drivers in the five main NASCAR series. Uh, what's it mean to you to represent both the military and the African-American community? It means a lot to um, help represent the community. I mean, Bubba Wallace is doing great in the Cup Series, and um, you know, I'm happy that he's gotten up there because uh, I know it was a it was a tough road, especially you know when they had the falling out with um, with Roush, you know, and because I guess they wasn't able to secure enough sponsorship or whatever it was. So you know, he was still trying to figure out life and what to do, and then you know, Richard Petty came in and you know saved the day and brought him up to Cup, yeah, and um, which was great. So. Um, you know, for me, I'm just trying to make it up too. So, um, I, Bob Wallace had some more fortunate, uh, some more fortunate situations where he was able to run for KBM and run for Roush and all that stuff. So he's really able to run some really good teams so he could really show his talent. Um, yeah. I haven't been able to run on that caliber equipment yet, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm just yeah. grinding and trying to make it. So we yeah, have one day, one day, yeah. um, there are, there are some other African-American, uh, fellows who are trying to come up in the sport. You know, I know some late model guys. I know one, um, Walter Thomas, but, uh, he's, uh, I think he's in Indiana. I'm pretty sure. And mm-hmm. he's doing some late model stuff. And then I know another guy, um, Armani Williams, who has kind of run off and on K and N, uh, you know, a few races here and there, West and East. Um, so he's trying to come up to really good guy. And, um, I know Dylan Smith had been running some late model stuff for a little while, but I'm not sure if he's still doing it at all, but, um, there's a few guys who are trying to make it up. But as far as, you know, running at the national series, you know, trucks, Xfinity cup right now it's me and Bubba Wallace. So, um, I'm going to keep on trying to grind and make things happen. And that's when I get myself in a point where I'm, you know, in some really good situations so I can give myself the opportunity to be competitive. Yeah, where you guys are maybe in you know, like in like Daytona going going for the win together. That'd be that'd be awesome to see. And I've I've thought about that. I've seen that. I like literally saw a vision of that. Both of us so it's so funny. I I saw I had a vision of us doing that, like at Daytona battling for the win. And then like 
it, we would obviously both be pretty much fighting for the win. So like anything can happen. Like he could bump me out of the way. I could bump him <laughs> out of the way, something. And I could don't, I could just see the interview afterwards and someone making a joke being like, man, that was black on black crime. Do you and Bubba talk about stuff like this? Do you guys talk about ways to help shape a more like prominent presence in the sport, like in the future? You know, I, I don't live in North Carolina. And because of that, I don't really um, I don't have a lot of communication with a lot of drivers, a few people here and there, but not a lot. Because I, I think it's not growing up in racing, not being around it all the time. Like all these drivers, a lot of them kind of grew up together. You know, like a lot of the guys yeah. racing in Cup right now who are, you know, as long as they're within a few years of each other, pretty much grew up racing each other. Like Matthew DiBenedetto, Bubba Wallace, Kyle Larson, uh, Daniel Suarez, um, um, uh, Corey LaJoy, yeah. you know, all, all, all those people all like ran, you know, late models and K and N together and, you know, all that stuff, you know, trucks, Xfinity, whatever, you all kind of ran together like for a long time. So they've all known each other and been together forever. Whereas I'm really new to this whole thing. I didn't grow up with any of these drivers. I didn't race go-karts against them. I didn't, you know, all these people, literally some of them racing since they're five years old against each other. So, um, I don't have that same level of conversation. I don't really know these guys. I mean, we know each other, but I don't know them that well. Like I'm not like on text texting basis with a lot of these guys. Eventually at some point I would love to have that kind of communication, but I just, I grew up in a football world. Something for the future. Something for the future. Yeah. Um, who Who are you kind of racing? Who were, I mean, was it 2016, uh, 2017? Who, who are you we, coming up with? If we go back to 2015, when I first started racing late models, the group I started racing late models with was uh, Riley Herbs. Um, also, uh-huh. uh, Blaine Perkins, who was running ARCA for a little bit. He's running these back to late models again. Uh, Blaine Perkins, I ran with uh, who else? Riley Herbst is really kind of the only one that I ran late models with who's actually doing anything in the national series now. Um, and then when I got to K&N, now I was racing against Noah Gregson um, yeah. and uh, who else? Uh, you know, some of the East guys, you know, William Byron, uh, who else? Um, some other people. So um, Justin Haley, you know, all those people. So all those people, you know, ran against those yeah. folks that that's kind of the group that 2016 Canaan West and East. That's kind of my, I would say my, my class. <laughs> got you. Got you. Yeah. William Byron. It's like every time the, you know, I was at NASCAR for three and a half years and I watched him go from Canaan to the cup series. You know, it was incredible yeah. watching that. It was, it was like every year he was winning a championship. It was like, it was incredible. Hey, you pair, you pair, you pair some good talent with, with some good money and you got, it's, it's great. Uh, you went to Arca and you're currently in the middle of your first, and you're currently in the middle of your first full season in trucks. What's next for you in the sport? Yeah. So yeah, I ran a little bit of Arca. Arca was an interesting stint. Uh, we had a ton of bad luck there. Um, great mm-hmm. series. It just, we just kept on getting caught up in the wrong stuff. I mean, it was just like each time it was like something broke, we wrecked. We, uh, somebody wrecked in front of us and we got caught up in it. Somebody wrecked in front of us. We got caught up in it. Transmission Man. blew up. Motor blew up. It was just like one. It's like I, I literally could not catch a break. I mean, we had like like maybe one finish or so in that series. I think. Oh my god! One of, one of the six races. Yeah, Oof. one of the six races. Yeah, the, we went to Daytona and we were running well in Daytona. We were getting into the top twenty after we kind of started in the back because of some. We had some something happen. I think in qualifying we had some screw up in qualifying, but um, 
anyways, I started like 37th and made my way up to 20th, like by halfway of the race and was trying to make my way up some more. And then, um, somebody checked up in the middle of the race and then, uh, I bumped into the back of someone and it wasn't too hard. And I mean, it literally caused minimal, minimal damage. I mean, you looking at a picture, you can't even see the damage. And, yeah. but it was enough because we, our bodies, we don't have the metal bodies, steel bodies. So it pushed the front end just enough to hit something with the oil cooler and put a hole in the oil cooler and we started leaking a lot. And that was it. And I had the fifth quickest lap time of the night, which was crazy. So anyways, that happened. And then going into the second race, Talladega, we ran clean, stayed out of all the carnage, even though we could have easily got caught up in a lot of it, but we dodged it. Um, I mean, when I say dodged it, I'm talking about like, there was one time where I squeezed between something that was the walls on my right and another car was coming up to the wall on my left. And he actually did kind of hit me, but I was going just fast enough to just take the hit and keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Ching. Yeah, huh. so that happened. We finished fifteenth there, you know. So we were, that was clean, you know, somewhat clean finish. I think, then, I think, it's, I think that's amazing that Talladega is the one that you didn't reckon. Yeah, exactly. Then we go to <laughs> <laughs> we go to Charlotte, and halfway through the race, something breaks. Something breaks, and the thing gets crazy loose. And and then as it's getting loose. Um, or now it, 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 something breaks and it gets super tight actually. So I was getting super tight and it's going up towards the wall. I'm trying to keep it off the wall and somebody else squeezes by me on, on, on my, uh, on my right side or whatever over the top of me. Oh, wow. And, um, uh, as they do that, they took the air off the spoiler, which just spun me all the way down to the, towards the infield. And then somebody happened to be there and it, it hit them. And then that ended our night. And then going into, uh, that was Charlotte. And then going into, I think we had Michigan right after that. No, Pocono. Pocono, I'm running clean all race. We have like maybe 15 or so laps left. And then one of the kids who had been, had he was on his fourth spin now. Fourth spin in the race. And on that fourth spin. <laughs> this is our guy. <laughs> yeah, it happened to be right in front of me. And it took out like two cars, which also wiped me out at the same time. So that was Pocono. Then we go to uh michigan after that and at, at michigan transmission blows up lap four then i go mm. to uh chicagoland and chicagoland motor blows up lap six. Oh, geez <laughs> just yeah no bueno no bueno so i'm like i just couldn't catch a break and then and then from there i was like i gotta get out of here so uh i was like from there i was like let me just move the truck series because <laughs> yeah i was like we're just wasting time and money here now you know so um went to trucks and um, at trucks, it, uh, it had a little bit better luck and finished, you know, I think 25th in my first race it was a road course, never tested a truck in my life, never drove one until literally that road course race and road courses aren't easy. Oh my God. That, what, yeah, what, 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 what road? Uh, it was Canadian, Canadian tire Canadian? motorsports park. Yeah. I love so that race. That, that, that race always has a good ending too. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And then, um, and then went to Phoenix and ran Phoenix and, uh, then this year run the truck races that I've run. So. Um, you know, it's funny how you, when you leave the sport, you immediately forget the schedule. The next truck race is until Talladega. Okay. So, okay. This episode will drop on October 9th. Is it going to be after that? Oh, uh, yeah, it'll be October 12th, October 12th. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, by the way, uh, happy Navy birthday. This will oh, be, yeah, this will be you. right around on the Navy birthday there. So it will. you got anything special for the Navy birthday? Um, nothing too special for maybe birthday right now. Just happy birthday to all my sailors out there and Marines. Cause Marines, you are part of the Navy. You are part of the department of the Navy, <laughs> the men's department. 
Yeah, oh, the men's department. Oh man, here it goes. Here it goes. You are welcome. You are welcome. Um, are there any nonprofits or veteran in the veteran space that's a good example for the veteran community that you know that should be known? Uh, yeah, Team Rubicon. Um, a lot of people know about them. Some people don't. But Team Rubicon does some really great things. And, you know, anytime there's any kind of crises, any kind of, um, you know, just things that happen, like weather, like weather related stuff, you know, and, you know, floods and hurricanes and tornadoes where, where different cities, towns have been destroyed and people need help and need aid. Um, Team Rubicon has always deployed people out there. And all these people that deploy out are all uh, voluntary people. They, they volunteer to, you know, the call to duty. And these people are all vets and things like that. And, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, if I can't, if I'm not serving anymore, you know, in the military, I can still serve here. They all come together and deploy out to different locations and help people. Um, so they're doing a lot of great things and really helping a lot of people who are in need and in distress. That's awesome. Uh, team Rubicon, you know, it's, it's funny when I left the, the Marine Corps, I completely left the military community. I completely, you know, I, I went straight into NASCAR and I went, kind of, I was really one of three people in the, in the NASCAR tower in Charlotte. Um, uh, then coming back into this job, I'm learning things about, uh, I'm learning things like team Rubicon. And I'm like, man, I got a I got a Tacoma. I can do some of this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So uh, I'm, I'm excited to learn more about them as I, as I continue this journey. Um, Jesse, what's one thing in service that you learned in service that you could, that you apply to what you're doing today? Um, I would say the one of the biggest things is really kind of the that drive and attitude towards like making a lot happen with a little. Um, that's me. So, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, in the military, we're not giving a lot. They don't give us a lot, you know, limited resources sometimes. And we have to make a lot happen with it. And yeah. there they literally is no excuse. It's just like, get it done. Like, like this is what you have. And the mission still has to be accomplished. That's it. Like, there's no other way around. Like, cut the ropes. We're not going anywhere. Like, we're only going forward. And you just have to make it work. So, that's what I've kind of applied to this whole racing career and business and all that stuff. It's like, hey, like sometimes I don't have all the resources I need, but it doesn't matter. Like, nobody cares. You still have to go get it done. So, that's what I've been doing in, in racing is you know, just finding a way to keep getting it done, finding a way to keep getting on track, whether, you know, it's in, you know, uh, like you know, truck series with K&N, ARCA, late models, whatever, each level, I've just found a way to keep getting in and keep getting it done. And yeah, I haven't won any races yet. Um, yeah, I'm still grinding to try to make, you know, things happen and make it bigger. But at the end of the day, you know, the more I can find more funding, the more we can keep, you know, getting experience and learning. And, you know, sometimes we'll make mistakes, but, you know, keep pushing forward. You know, eventually it'll get to a point where we can put ourselves in, in really good winning situations. Well, it's great that you've already made it to Gander outdoors, you know, just on the, the fact that you've been able to fund it yourself and, and, and get the right sponsors to even to get to the point you're at now. I think that's amazing. Uh, is it, is it Gander outdoors truck series now? Yeah. I left before the, 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 <laughs> the sponsor changed. Yeah. Gander outdoor truck series. Um, they're the title sponsor right now for the truck series. And yeah, you know, um, a lot of my business stuff has really helped. And then we've had a lot of great sponsors, you know, over the last two years now began jumping on board to help out. And, you know, even this year, I mean, a lot of 2017, um, most of, you know, pretty much all of 2019 has all been sponsor driven. So any race I've raced this year has all been driven from sponsorship. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, I believe, I'm pretty sure 
last year too, every single race I ran was all sponsorship driven. So that's good. Like that's the point I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to a point where like, I, like, uh, spon- like sponsors were driving this whole thing and the business was there for backup just in case that didn't happen. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's helping you out? Who's your sponsor? Sh- go ahead and g- give them a shout out. The ones we've had recently, Fuel Tracks was with us earlier this year. So Fuel Tracks ran with us, you know, a couple of races earlier this year when we ran Texas and, and Vegas. Um, uh, obviously, my business is on there. Uh, this medical center, medical clinic um, in New York with us. Um, just they were helping us out because they really believe in everything we're doing. And we helped connect them, make some B2B connections for them, which are going to help them out a lot. Uh, Ready Nutrition, uh, they were part of that whole deal. They, they, they've helped us out some too. And uh, we've got some bigger ones coming along soon. Can't really announce them just yet. Dang it. I want to be the show, (laughs) man. I want to be the show. (laughs) Because I haven't, I like usually, honestly, I announce everything on social media before I announce it anywhere else. I got you. I got you. I want to be, I mean, I would be like, man, this Jesse's the first person to like, just do the big announcement on my show. I want to be that guy. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, (laughs) we're we're still, we're still working on it. Like, like I, I I can't say nothing until like, I know ink is signed because people do that a lot. People people will make these announcements. They're like, Oh, we're going to, I'm gonna run the whole season. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. And I'm like, wait, why did you just make that announcement when he's not even a done deal? Like, there's still pieces to the pie that still need to be done that are out of your control. <laughs> and, and, and and people and then some companies will just be like, you know what? Just on the basis of that you can't even do that. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Exactly. No, I yeah. totally understand. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. For, I don't want to be the. I don't want to be that guy that did that for you. I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. Is there Jesse? Is there anything else that I haven't asked? that you think is important to share with the, the community that's listening to this show? Honestly, one of the biggest things is, you know, for people out there going after goals and dreams, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, the biggest thing is, is, is one, you have to have the vision of yourself doing whatever you're trying to do. You have to have that clear, natural vision of seeing yourself doing it, it has to be a natural vision. Like it had to come from within. Like it's not something you just make up on the spot. Like it has to be something you just, it comes to you every single day. You just see yourself doing it you know, make a, make a decision to actually go after it. You know, don't just think about it, like make a decision, like you will do it and then put action towards it every single day. And not just like three or four days a week, like seven days a week, every single day, put action towards it and never make the excuse that, Oh, you know, I'm too busy with work or I'm too busy with family or I'm too busy with whatever. Like if it's a goal of yours, you can make it a priority. I mean, you make it a priority to sleep every night, you make it a priority to get in your car and go to work every day. You make it a priority to eat every day. You make it a priority to watch TV or your favorite Netflix show every day. Just make it a priority to work on your goal, you know? So um, do that every single day and grind. And even when it's hard, don't quit. Because if you stay strong enough, long enough, you will make it. Um, you know, keep doing that and have faith, pray and help people around you. Do all that stuff. You'll get to your goals. they need a home, they can get a home loan. If they need education, they can get education. If they were hurt in service, we pay compensation. If you weren't hurt in service, but you fell on hard times, we give you pension. There's just an array of benefits out there for veterans. And we really want to just make sure that all the veterans know what's out there. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov or call 1-855-948-2311. I want to thank Jesse for taking the time to talk with us. What a great story. 
It was great to dive a little bit back into the industry that gave me my transition when I first got out of the Marine Corps. For more information on what Jesse is up to, you can check him out at Jesse Awuji. Jesse, that's that's all one word. Jesse, J-E-S-S-E-I-W-U-J-I.com. There you can find recent stories on him and you can follow all of his socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. This week's Born the Battle of Veteran of the Week was submitted by our email commentary, Army First Sergeant Retired, John Jekyll. In his email, he said, the veteran I would like to recommend is Sergeant John David Meter II, 36 of Columbia, assigned to the 133rd Military Police Company, Florence. He died June 20th, 2012 in the Kaust province of, I hope I'm saying that right, the Kaust province of Afghanistan, of wounds caused by an IED. I served with Sergeant Meter as MPs with the 133rd MP Company, and he was a great warrior. It also comes from DignityMemorial.com. He was a graduate of Lexington High School, where he wrestled and coached wrestling at Lexington, White Knoll, and Ermal High Schools. JD enlisted in 1994 and served his country in the United States Army. He then served with the Army National Guard, 132nd and 133rd MP companies, where he was stationed overseas in Afghanistan on his first deployment. He was a member of Lexington County Sheriff's Department. JD was a true carpenter and loved hunting and the outdoors. He loved to cook, grill, and bake. Some called him Bobby Crocker. He was also known by his bowling friends as Leroy. JD was an amazing husband and will be greatly missed. JD is survived by his wife, Christy, and three daughters, Olivia, Brianna, and Alana. His parents and two brothers, Jimmy and Mike, as well as several aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, and cousins. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up or a link and let us know why you would like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. If you like this episode and haven't subscribed yet, please do. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, pretty much any podcatching app known to cell phone, computer, tablet, or man. And as always, for more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Thanks for listening. There's one thing I also do is called the after the show show. And I do it randomly. It's not like every episode or anything. Um, Do you have any uh, funny experiences from your time in the military that you'd like to share? You're like, hey, this one time. (laughs)
when new ensigns, new 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 officers come into the Navy and they go to the ships, a lot of people like to play pranks on them because the ensigns don't know anything. So I, one prank that got played on me was we were on our ship about to go out underway out to sea in the San Diego Bay Area for a few days. And before you, when you leave from the, uh, from the port or not the port from the base, um, you leave from the, um, the piers and stuff like that. When you head out into the Bay, you got to go underneath the San Diego Bay bridge uh, to get out to sea. Yeah. So, um, you know, you have a big mast on the, uh, on the ship, right. That's pretty tall. So somebody <laughs> told me that when we're going under the San Diego Bay bridge, that you got to crank the mast down, like you got to lower it down so that it doesn't hit the bridge. And I'm thinking like, oh, crap, that makes sense. Like, it's tall. Like, I don't want to hit the bridge. So they sent me on this like wild goose hunt to figure out how to crank the mask down. This big old, I mean, cranking the mask down. It's, it's, it's like if somebody told you, hey, an airplane's flying in the sky. Go um, find a way to crank down that huge um power power line thing or whatever over there like the like this huge, you know like yeah you're this like power the cell phone tower whatever go crank that down that a big old uh, windmill out there go crank that down like, that, that, that's basically what you're telling someone like it's impossible you're probably, you're probably like why isn't there a button for this already why is it gotta be a crank <laughs> yeah so then so then they sent me on this wild goose hunt and i'm like running around trying to figure out how to crank the mask down and then when i kept on asking people around other people began wanting to play jokes on me at the same time. So they're like, oh, well, to do it, you got to um, first, before you do it, first, you got to blow the MPA, right? So I'm like, okay, I got to blow the MPA. Oh like, where the, where's this horn at? You know, so I, he's like, go down to our central control station, um, ask the chief engineer in there to say, hey, you need to blow the MPA. You know, so I was like, okay, I go down there and I, I, I go to our chief engineer. I'm like, hey, sir, like, um, I'm trying to figure out a way to crank this mask. But they said that I first have to blow the MPA. Um, how, where do I, what do I need to do to blow the MPA? I just need to blow the MPA. And he looks at me, he's like, what the heck? You know, he's like, dude, like this guy sitting right here, that's MPA, our main propulsion assistant. You're not blowing any MPA. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh man. Yeah, and like, go, yeah, Thanks, guys. Go, Thanks guys. I run out to the bridge after that and like, everyone's laughing. They're like, yeah, you can't crank down the mass. It's impossible. Like, <laughs> so yeah. Man. Got me. Yeah. Good memories. Good memories. Awesome. 